0: You're listening to The Scott Beeson Show. In studio, we have attorney John Amari and brilliant media strategist and, I'm guessing, golfer uh, McKinnon Maddox. <laughs> Big Dave is producing, and on the line we have uh, Pastor Harry Reader who's going to talk to us about a few issues of faith and current events and politics. All right, Pastor Reader, you're, you're on the air. How are you doing today?
1: I'm doing well, how
0: are you doing Chris uh, we're doing great um one one thing I came across in one of your in perspectives that was really interesting. I know it's something that I think our listeners would be uh very interested to hear from you about it's It was something you did on how to live your Christian life both privately and publicly. Now it seems like there's a lot of pressure today that you can kind of have a faith, but keep it to yourself. And if you actually subscribe, you know, to the tenets of it, the moral teachings, you're kind of an extremist. But how do you reach the line of, man, I'm going to live in the world, I'm going to have friends, I'm going to interact, I'm going to still engage, but I'm still going to be separate in the sense of the kind of, you know, life I lead and how I treat people and, you know, uh, who I marry, how I raise kids. All right, just what are your thoughts on that? Because I really thought that was interesting. I know everybody listening would love to hear it.
1: Well, I think one of the undeniable undeniable movements in our culture is the secularization of the culture. And the secularization of the culture is built around a premise that says to people concerning religion, it's fine for you to have a religion, but what religion is is a matter of privacy and that you – that you can privately believe what you want to. In fact, uh, you in our culture will allow you to get together uh, one day a week uh, with some other people like you and worship and, quote, unquote, freedom to worship. But that was not what our founding fathers envisioned. In fact, our founding fathers realizing that they were engaging in this amazing American experiment of rule by law, not an oligarchy ruled by the elite, not a democracy ruled by mob, not a um, uh, not a monarchy ruled by a king, but that the law would be king. Lex Rex, the law is king. But that never can uh, succeed without a moral people. So they said the the state is not in the business of picking winners and losers in. Religion. Others looked and said, America is great because America's churches are great. If America's churches aren't great, then America will cease to be great. In other words, this whole experiment was built on a sense of morality that only could be produced by a vibrancy of religion. And therefore, they did not enshrine freedom to worship. They enshrined the free practice of religion. That is, you can live your religious life public as long as it is in accord with the principles and precepts of the constitution and the constitution is designed to protect that unalienable right uh, that you have in life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness for the free practice of religion so um and so that's why i believe it's very important that we maintain this notion instead of the current for instance in the last election one of the nominees said that that uh, she supported the free uh, freedom uh, to worship. Well, freedom to worship is in the Constitution of the Soviet Union. Freedom to worship is in the Constitution of China, but not the free practice of religion. That is, you can bring the principles of what you believe into everyday life.
0: Well, it's very interesting. And, yeah, it seems like there are certain people on the left that just want to limit it to, yeah, the government will let you say kind of what you want in your church, but... Even then, a lot of them will will tell you, well, you still have to hire people uh, even if they believe and practice things differently. And that's a debate for another day. But there was something, I listened to your CDs, there's the 14 CD set you had, and there was something on there that just as an attorney really struck me. And you talked a lot about the punishment fitting the crime and how some crimes deserve maybe things like fines, and some, or maybe that we need to focus more on restitution, other crimes, like obviously violent crimes, you really have to have more punitive elements in those things. And I just wanted to get your uh, just thoughts on sort of the debate that we're facing right now as a society, like when it comes to some of the states moving to maybe a decriminalization of like marijuana, and not that. We would, I know you would support people doing that. It's obvious, but do you think that there may be some wisdom and, and maybe not approaching that from let's put people in jail for long periods of time? It would, it might, would it be more just and more good use of society's resources if we were to say, all right, why don't we do a fine like they're doing in Mobile under Stimson, and? and i was just trying to get your thoughts cuz i was listening to that and i was like surely harlie has a better way of explaining this to me but like on that issue or similar issues are is are, are there some things we're doing that we're punishing we're over punishing and we're not getting results and is there a better alternative and biblical way to handle situations like that
1: well, you have to remember the legal code is, you know, sometimes I'll hear people say, well, you can't legislate morality. Well, that's actually all you do legislate is morality.
0: Exactly. A legal
1: code is laying down the parameters whereby a culture does business. In other words, these things we allow, these things we don't allow. Now, you're within a culture that its premium is on liberty that is framed within law. In other words, true liberty is found with law, and law is designed to protect liberty. Let me give you an illustration. I've got a – my wife and I have this wonderful little home that we have the privilege to live in, and it's on a mountain, and then our backyard is about 20 yards wide, and then there's a 1,500-foot drop-off. And uh, so when my grandchildren come over, uh, they get about – our 20-yard – our 20-yard – uh, our 20 yard wide uh, backyard, they get about five yards of that to play in, with uh, my wife watching over them like a hawk. But if I was to put a fence up at the edge, then they would get all 20 yards. And that's the way the law works. The law is a is a barrier that when you put it up, it gives the freedom within that to function. Now, if you don't have the law and its proper enforcement, then what happens is is you you lose that kind of uh, freedom. And and so because I don't have a fence, my kids don't get the full 20 yards. If I had the fence out there, they'd get the full 20 yards to play. And so that's what, that's how law is should function. Now, what about crime and punishment? Well, when the Bible says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, it's laying down a principle that punishment ought to fit the crime. You shouldn't over-punish uh, a crime, and you shouldn't under-punish a crime. That whatever the punishment is, it it ought to fit the crime. It's it's one thing for your child to lie to you, and how do you punish your child? It's another thing for your child to uh, carelessly spill the milk at the table. And uh, you you you're able to make that kind of wisdom decision in terms of of, um, of what is primary, what is secondary, what has uh, greater effects and greater consequences, and you're able to work your way through that and, and historically we've done that and the download of download of biblical jurisprudence is realizing there's some things we call capital, there's some things we call criminals, some things we call misdemeanors, and that we punish them accordingly in light of um, in light of the seriousness so it, it's always serious to disobey the law, but we realize that things have various consequences in terms of what they do and so the crime ought to finish uh, therefore the punishment ought to fit the crime.
0: Yeah that's certainly understandable it's just uh, as as an attorney sometimes I see it seems like there's a level to where we punish certain things and not others and it doesn't always seem to fit within that model and I realize the justice system isn't always about justice but sometimes I try to try to figure th- these more difficult issues out from a biblical perspective. Now, Johnny, you're an attorney, and you do cases like this as well. You're also a Christian, and we served on the board at uh, Save a Life together. Uh, you know, what are your thoughts? I mean, do you, how from just an understanding of your faith, where do you kind of lean on this issue, and where should we go with it?
2: Well, I could never be as eloquent as pastor reader just was um just his illustration with the backyard i'm actually putting that in my vault
1: and next time <laughs> i try to
2: do an you know give an example of how our legal system works i'm probably going to steal that from you pastor reader i hope you don't mind go for it but no i think i think really everything you said was spot on and now that's what i think a goal for people should be is how do we get our country back to that kind of mindset of it's okay to practice your faith openly and it's okay to try to set a good example by practicing your faith openly. It's almost gotten to where some of us, especially as Christians, are we get embarrassed almost or we're made to feel embarrassed when we try to practice openly and and I don't think that is I definitely do not think that was the intent of the founders when they formed this country. I think there was this understanding that come what comes with practicing your faith are tenets that are going to be the same to where as long as everyone is kind of strong and faithful in those tenets everyone's going to work together in the greater sense, for the greater good of the community. And I think that's what's deteriorating a lot in this world today.
1: I think, uh, and, uh, Christopher, if I could just uh, add uh, to what my brother just said, um, I think uh, it's very important to understand that uh, our, our founding fathers realized there are three spheres of society, church, state, and family. And the church is not the family, and the family is not the church, and the church is not the... They're interdependent, but they are not. Uh, uh, they are not hierarchical, built upon each other. Therefore, the the the, ch- the state doesn't try to do the work of the church. The state doesn't do real rehabilitation. What the state does, punish evil and reward what's good, and protect its citizens. That's what it's supposed to do, and protect the family and the church to bring rehabilitation. That's where rehabilitation comes from, not from the state, but from the church and from the family which is why our founding fathers wanted the free practice of religion they did this extraordinary thing when they declared their independence and won it then in the providence of god they did something that the french didn't do they ordered their independence with law the french just went into anarchy we ordered ours with law the constitution then our third step was to mature and maintain our freedom We put this other document in place called the Bill of Rights, and the very first one containing the six affirmations that are crucial to this country is the First Amendment. And the first of the first six affirmations in the First Amendment is the free practice of religion. If I could put it this way, to be a Christian, you have to have a personal relationship with Christ. You can't – there's not a group plan. You have to personally commit your life to Christ but to be a Christian, you do not privately live for Christ. To follow Christ requires you to publicly confess Him as Lord and Savior, and the salt and light of publicly living for the Lord is what matures and maintains freedoms in a society.
0: A lot of the topics from in perspective lately have been on sort of our changing view of gender and gender identity, and I know that's uh, something that's very new, but we know that biblically God made them male and female, but yet in our society, and even on Facebook, there's like 50 different genders. One, I have a problem with that as far as uh, math. It's too much to keep up with, and that's the real problem. You'll never figure them all out. I'm just tired of all these letters here. You just get to a point, you're done with it. But also, I just wanted to get your thoughts. Like, What is this doing to men and women, and do you think this movement is actually going to take away some of the long-fought rights that women have in society? And if so, how's that going to work?
1: Uh, is that directed to me, Christopher? Oh, yeah,
0: yes, Pastor Rita, that's yeah. you.
1: Uh, um, yeah, I think, well, the sexual revolution is, uh, I mean, there, it's, it's not going to take any prisoners. Uh, we're about to find out um, you know, who is going to have a, a biblical world in life view, uh, is it the sovereign God that frames your world and life view or the sovereign self? And the sovereign self, world and life view, the quote-unquote secular humanist world and life view is I can be who I want to be. Uh, it doesn't matter. It, there's, no, there's no such thing as objective truth. And if I want to deny the binary uh, dynamic of male and female, I can do that. But there's, there, by the way, there's nothing new here. That's where all of our forefathers were. Our forefathers were pagans. Uh, whether in Europe or Africa or wherever, and they had a pagan world in life view in which there is no distinction between the creator and the creation, that the creation is everything, so you worship and serve the creature. And therefore, the way that a pagan world in life view attacks a biblical world in life view is you attack the distinction between God over his creation and his creation accountable to God by denying the distinctions that God has put into creation. Thus, when you deny the distinctions that God has put into creation, you, in effect, are denying God, that there is no God. So we deny male and female, male and female in terms of a monogamous, covenantal, heterosexual marriage, male and female necessary to raise children. It is you attack that to... to, the sovereign self. We will be who we want to be. So this particular world in life view, the sexual revolution is the sacrament of, the, of this pagan world in life view. It will not take any prisoners. You're either going to have to bow or you're going to have to uh, figure out how you're going to stand in terms of standing for truth. And a very famous case is the Jack Phillips case where he said, look, I make products. Anybody can buy them but I am not going to participate in a fabrication called same-sex marriage. I can't celebrate it. I can't participate in it. And that's supposed to be my protected right in the free practice of religion. So um, schools are going to have to make their decision. Churches are going to have to make their decision. This is going to be an incessant assault, and it will not stop. And there are going to be no prisoners of war on this one. You either convert or you will be set to the side.
0: Yeah. It's just interesting that the further and for, further society just views the the nuclear family as unnecessary, the more things we see kind of break down, you know. And and I'm all about, like, people have the freedom to do things when they're adults because there are some things the state doesn't need to regulate. Like, if you're two adults and you want to engage in behavior and you're adults, that's your business. But it also it also seems a little unfair that you should be able to tell people from different religions to say— even if they're just saying that's not what I believe and this is what I would like to practice, that we're somehow bigoted and all that stuff. Well, if anything, you can love people even if you disagree. Some of my closest friends are atheists or liberal Democrats, and we have a good time because we have real interesting conversations, and I love these people. But it doesn't get to the point, I think if it ever gets to the point where you come down on them like, I've got it all figured out and I'm a better person, then you definitely lose them because... Jesus said it's your kindness that leads us to repentance, and I think a lot of the problem in modern church is that we really want to just go after people that don't believe we believe in a hard way and condemn them. And I guess we only have about a minute left, but I want to give you that, uh, just to give your thoughts on that, and how do you think the church can more effectively reach people who maybe don't have much of an understanding of Christianity what do you think are just a few things that we could do to maybe make a difference in that area?
1: Well, you can make clear the sanity of a Christian world and life for you, and to live in opposition actually is insanity, and in that it destroys your life, it destroys your family. Uh, you're not loving... You don't... To love people and accept people, you don't have to love and accept sin. That's not... that You learn that Parenting 101. I love my children. I'm never going to stop loving my children. But to love and accept my children does not mean I love and accept what they propose to do. No, this is what's right. This is what's wrong. And that's what God has done for us. He's given us an ethical boundary called the Ten Commandments. If you break God's law, it will break you. But God has given you a remedy. And what we want to tell you about is that remedy. That remedy is to confess you're a sinner. Now, you can't confess sin until you realize that there is sin. So to get the good news, you've got to get the bad news. And the bad news is that we're sinners in opposition to God, helpless and hopeless. But this God, who did not need us, loved us. And we who needed him but did not love him, he has sent his son so that we can be saved from our sins and have everlasting life. That's what we want to communicate to people. Not that every all behavior is acceptable but that God has created a way to save us when there was
0: no way. Well, that that's excellent, Pastor Reader. Thank you for this time. It's a good thing to remember. Only Jesus can save us from our sins. But if you need saving from anything to do with legal issues, readlawalabama.com. I think that's the takeaway. <laughs> totally messing with you guys. Seeing if Johnny's paying attention. Um, coming up next, we got John Ziegler from Mediate. He's really interesting, controversial, and you guys are going to love this. Tune in.